0: I am George Knapp, listening to That UFO Podcast and having one hell of a good
1: time. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencastr. Zencastr is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio-quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio-quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and welcome to the the week-long, I don't want to call it celebration, but it's the week-long anniversary of the two years since I started That UFO Podcast. Um, we started the week with the interview with Lou Elizondo, which you will have heard by now, and we're finishing off the week with uh, an interview about remote viewing, which is one of the initial subjects I put in the description of the podcast when I first started it long before I've done any interviews on remote viewing. Since then, I've spoken to several remote viewers, and I'm very excited to welcome Daz Smith, who is an artist and graphic designer, an author, an active remote viewer who continuously works with the top people in the field on both public and private remote viewing projects. He also runs several large information websites on the subject of remote viewing, and he edits and publishes Eight Martinis, which is a print and online magazine dealing with the subject of remote viewing. That's just half the bio as well. So the rest of it, I'll let you check out yourselves online, or I would be here all day. Um, Daz, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, yeah, and it's great to be here. Uh, As as I may have mentioned, I, I listen to the podcast quite often, so yeah, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, uh, I know Dan, uh, regular co-host, a big fan of yours as well, so he was looking forward to speaking to you. As we record this, he is on a live with uh, Vinny from Disclosure Team as well, so Dan sends his regards over. Very popular guest as I got a ton of listener questions. I've tried to build as many of them into the interview as possible. We've then got the listener questions section as well. We'll get through what we can, but I think I've got to start at the beginning, Uh, and we've spoken to a few remote viewers, like I've said, and people can go and check those interviews out in the archive archives. It's always a popular discussion. Uh, I want to ask you in your own words, what is remote viewing?
0: Oh, well, yeah. Uh, the simple answer for that is it's when a, uh, an intuitive uses their intuitive ability to see outside local space. So they're allowed, you know, they essentially move their consciousness away from themselves to a remote location uh, and they can see targets uh, which consist of uh, events locations life forms objects structures anywhere in time and space
1: so you can look at uh, not only now but future and in past as well yeah
0: we can yes and the past targets are very accurate uh, now targets are very accurate but we do lose accuracy on looking at future targets i'm running at probably around about 65 percent accuracy on looking at targets in the future at the moment
1: now I know there's a listener question at least on future targets and predictions coming up, so we'll we will we'll get to that. I okay. want to know, Daz, how did remote viewing first become a part of your life? I'm right in saying you began training as such at a very young age, about ten years old.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I trained in what I call classical or psychic techniques from ten years old, and that was that was techniques like a normal clairvoyance, mediumship, channeling, using all the divination methods. Uh, Tarot cards, crystal balls, sand reading, tea ring. so pretty much anything I could get my hands on back then. And then in nineteen, uh, I was very much into, uh, and I always have been into UFO research as well. And I was a local UFO researcher here in the UK uh, from around right about the nineteen eighty-nine period when when crop circles came about. You know, we had a big explosion in the UK here, and I started getting heavily into uh, UFO research back then, uh, collecting books and videos. I went to a UFO conference in Leeds, uh, which was run by Quest International. And uh, they had a person on stage who played an audio tape. And it was a taped conversation with someone who claimed he was in or part of Majestic 12. And he was a remote viewer. And, you know, in this audio tape that he played live on, on stage, uh, this remote viewer was talking about how the, he was a psychic. and He was trained by the CIA and the, the American military to essentially spy on the russians and to go anywhere in time and space and he tracked ufos to their point of origin in construction using this so in the moment i heard that being a semi trained psychic anyway i was i was hooked and i've been uh, yeah i've been exploring this this ever since in in the 25 years since
1: now 10 years old is quite a, a young age to start anything is as serious as what you've done what can of uh, spark that interest at such a young a young time of your life I was,
0: yeah, i I'd like most of the people out there that are interested in remote viewing. I was quite lucky in that I was brought up in a household where my mother was a, uh, she, she ran the local spiritualist church. So we, you know, we had a library of books and it had all the usual ones, you know, like the encyclopedias and all that kind of stuff in there. But the majority of the books we had and the subjects that people talked about in my house growing up were the paranormal esoteric type subjects. And I guess I just caught the bug from my um, my mother's side of the family, and I was I was hooked from the age of ten. I, I remember being at, you know a, a junior school at the age of ten, and going repeatedly to the shelves to get the same books, and it was free books. One was on ghosts, one was on UFOs, and one was on mysterious creatures. And I would I would you know repeat the books and then go back through them and repeat them again and keep reading them.
1: I think a lot of listeners will share that same same sort of memory and same experience growing up as well. What was the earliest time you remember either remote viewing or a related ability or experience really catching your attention, being that kind of wow moment? Was it a family member or or was it yourself?
0: Oh, um, it was probably some experiences that we had growing up in the house I lived in before I live in this one now, and I've lived here for 40 odd years now it was my parents house but the first house we lived in i think i lived there to the age of seven uh, i i vaguely remember that we had some very strong paranormal experiences and disturbances in the house so it was very very much like poltergeist type stuff so we the family would all be downstairs and we would hear someone up above us running in the rooms upstairs but there would obviously be be no one there so I think that started, yeah, I remember that kind of stuff happening. And that must be from around about the age of five, six and seven, I would say.
1: And again, as a child, I'm going to ask, I've spoken to experiencers and other remote viewers. At times you hear about traumatic events at childhood or, or injuries that spurned these things on. Is this something that has been that that came on or was it very much a, a natural ability and something you you harnessed?
0: Yeah, I don't think I have any trauma in in, in that sparked this. I, I, yeah, I think mine is, you know, uh, it comes from the family line. I would say I know my mother was psychic as, uh, and you know, she she was psychical and trained people and did all kinds of divination till till she pretty much passed. And I think I re- recollect hearing stories of my my grandmother down the line having some kind of basic skills as well. So for me, it, yeah, it's just a, it's just a trait that's in the family line. Uh, and you know I got a brother and sister, but I'm pretty much the only one that is uh, that followed this line. Even though I know they have some, you know, some basic ability to themselves.
1: And you mentioned it started off with tea leaves and various different types of yeah. reading mediumship. At what point did you really move over? You, you've mentioned obviously remote viewing. You saw someone, yeah. and that sparked an interest. How did you begin to hone that yourself and really focus on growing those skills?
0: Absolutely. Well, as I said, I first heard about remote viewing in 92 uh, and then I started to look into it a bit more. But you have to bear in mind that that was in the early days of the Internet. So we were all using 56K modems at 4K a second back then. Yeah, And there wasn't a lot of information out because the project in, in its majority was still secret at that point until 1995. Um, so I, I managed to get a few bits and pieces online uh to point me in the right direction but it didn't really take off for me and everyone else until it exploded in 1995 when yeah, you know, nightline did a program on on remote viewing and and recognized it and said you know this is what the cia had been spending money on and then after that yeah it kind of grew online into separate little communities that i joined and it kind of exploded from me from there really and what i found was when i was tr- Training in the classical techniques, so, you know, clairvoyance and all that kind of stuff, is very archaic, very spontaneous. The process controls you uh, and it controls the direction when you get the information, how you get it. The genius thing about remote viewing and the method that I use, which is called controlled remote viewing is that I choose the situation. So like if I wanted to right now, I could say, okay, I'm going to do remote viewing right now. I could sit here with a stack of paper and a pen or I I more often use a tablet nowadays and just do it. And I'm in control. I decide how much information I want to get when I want to stop and everything. So it's a control thing, really. Classical ways I find too spontaneous. The, The structured remote viewing that came out of the CIA and the military, I find way more structured for me.
1: Now, I've mentioned on the podcast a few times. In terms of remote viewing, one of my early experiences as such was was seeing the movie "The Men Who Stare at Goats," (laughs) which is largely fictional. It's a Hollywood film, big budget, pretty funny. I, I, I enjoy it. However, there is a warning at the start of the film, which tells you more of this is true than you would believe. Now. It, remo- it does portray remote viewers as eccentric telepaths, each with almost superpowers, different techniques. Is that the case in any way? And what does an actual remote viewing session look like? Um, Yeah, I mean, that was a parody. Um,
0: but there is a lot of reality in there. Uh, they mixed a lot of the names up and the characters up, but they do resemble real people within the remote viewing community. And in the early days of remote viewing... They, you know, there were several different projects uh, ongoing in several different uh, military departments that looked at different things. So, you know, there there is some good evidence that they did try to stop the heart of a goat and that kind of thing. But that wasn't part of the, you know, I would say the main effort that that mm. happened. Uh, SRI and and the other labs, um, yeah. So it, it it's it's semi true, but but you know, it's it, it's it's entertaining, um, yeah.
1: An actual remote viewing session you mentioned it would be paper and pencil, whereas you use a tablet, which is yes. a lovely take, a modern take on the remote viewing sessions you would see within the kind of films and TV or even documentaries. So, yes. for you, could you just go into a little bit more detail on if you are going to sit down and and remote view a target, what that looks like, the process, and obviously bringing in the tablet and everything as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what would happen is, uh. We always work blind. So that means, you know, as a remote viewer, I know nothing about anything specific about target whatsoever. So I would get an email from a project manager uh, and I only use trusted project managers uh, because, you know, this is, this is a possible tool that could be corrupted. Um, So I'll get an email from a project manager would say, okay, your target number is, and then it would be a random number. And the number doesn't really, really mean anything. I don't need it in reality. But what it does is it gives us something. It gives us it a title for admin purposes. So that if we have to talk or talk by email, we can refer to it by a project name. So they'll make up a random number and they'll sign it to a target. And the t- number I may get might be something like 7829-9920. And they'll say to me, uh, you know, you've got a week to do this. Get your data back to me by end of, you know, 29th of April. Uh, and that's it. So they'll give me that as a target. Then I will then sit down. Uh, in the past, mm-hmm. I used to stick down, sit down with a stack of paper and a pen. But now I just use a tablet. Uh, and what I do is um, I run through a specific six stage process. And this six stage process came out of Stanford Research Institute and the the, uh, the American military, and it's called CRV or Controlled Remote Viewing. And essentially, what I do in that six stage process, it it starts off very with a very small aperture to the target, and each stage you go to—stage two, three, four, five, and six—is almost like seeing this this camera aperture to the target open wider and wider and wider with the data that flows flows in. And it's very technical; it's very structured in the way you put your information down. Um, and that's essentially what I do. Uh, so I'll sit there for an hour, uh, working away on my tablet, probably doing something like. 10 to 30 A4 pages of information uh, which I then once I finish I will the good thing about doing it on a tablet is the moment I finished it it saves as a pdf so I can email it straight to the client whereas in the past uh, myself and other remote viewers that are still using technique of paper you have to scan all the paper in then you have to make it in pdf it's it's a lot longer doing it that old way which is why I moved to tablets I do so much remote viewing now for clients that I have to It'd be more efficient, and a, and a tablet's great for that nowadays.
1: How detailed can you be with a result? And and I've spoken to remote viewers, and I've obviously in in looking online and basic research. Some will say they can be pretty accurate in terms of detail. They could read from paper. Others would say it's more of a sketch and an outline. Where, for example, I, I know you've been involved as well in remote viewing what the nine eleven attacks ultimately were. Yeah. And you'll see people, they won't draw the Twin Towers and the fireball, but there'll be something that resembles that scene. Yeah. And it's not always that 100%. How, how do you how do you distinguish that accuracy? Or is it something that just comes and goes depending on the event you're trying to view?
0: Yeah, the accuracy does change target to target. And it, it also depends on who's tasking the target. Because we know there is a... Um, there seems to be some kind of connection at some level between the person that's created the target and the remote viewer, you know, it might be almost like what they call the experimenter effect. Um, But yeah, I'm myself because I've been doing this consistently now using the same technique for 25 years uh, and I had a natural talent in the first place. uh, I'm just lucky enough to be able to get very accurate data for targets. And for example, you know, I mean, there's no, there's nothing I, I or any other remote viewer can't do. If the target's a life or a person, I can go inside their head, get their faults, past, present, or future. Um, you know, if the target's a, a location, I can go I can go anywhere at a target. There doesn't seem to be any limitations to remote viewing uh, that we know of.
1: And can anyone begin to remote view? Twenty five years honing those skills is a very long time. But like you say, you have that natural intuition beforehand anyway. What about someone who's who's picking up this podcast, who's listened for a few months, obviously has an interest in UFOs, maybe quite new to the subject, hears about remote viewing for the first time, and there'll be those people who are right now. How could they go about themselves starting the remote viewing process and beginning to learn about it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, it's my belief that everyone can do this, um, but we will be able to do it to differing levels of, of skill level. You know, like we can all run, but I'm never going to be able to run 100 meters really fast. It's just not within me to do that. Um, so we can all do it. Uh, I have resources on my website that people could do. You know, I have essentially a training video and a template that they could watch and go through, and they can essentially teach themselves to do a remote viewing session in some like 30 minutes. Um, so it's very easy to do. It only gets more complicated and more time uh, constraining when you learn a methodology like I have, and you take it a lot more serious, but, you know, the normal person out there could use very basic remote viewing skills to make very basic decisions for themselves. You know, things like finding your car keys or finding a car park space, or even just making a, uh, a, a decision, you know, cause essentially all it is, is, uh, intuition, instinct, and, you know, I, you know, even gut instinct, CEOs, um uh, make you know they do really well in business uh by making gut instinct in uh decisions and that's all remote viewing is other than the remote viewing we do uh it's called astis remote viewing because we do it within what we call the scientific protocol and and that, that differentiates it from all other uh psychic experiments and the protocol means it's never spontaneous it's always a planned project it's always done blind, so the remote viewer does not know the target, and they don't have anyone in their vicinity or in communication with them when they're doing the remote viewing who knows what the target is as well. Uh, the data is always recorded, so you can check it later. Uh, and then you have a level of feedback at the end of the target, which then allows you to take it side-by-side side with the remote viewing data and check it and give it a score for your accuracy. So that's You know it, those rules, or protocols we call them, are are what makes remote viewing remote viewing rather than any inner psychic discipline
1: did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising with 67 percent of listeners remembering brands and 63 percent making a purchase after hearing them whether you want to diversify your ad spend add a new marketing stream or test out podcast ads zencasters creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook red ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. I'm going to skip ahead slightly and we'll bring forward one of the listener questions. It's a very good place to ask it, I think, from, from Paul Eyre. And he wants to know, what is your own personal best remote viewing event or experience? By this, I mean, what immediately springs to mind as a time where your remote viewing skills brought a definite and positive, positive result?
0: Oh, there's so many. Um uh, because yeah, there's, um, that's a hard one. Cause there, there literally is so many, um, the positive benefits are, are for me all the time. Um, uh, for example, the last four years, myself and four other remote viewers have been working in a project called crypto viewing. And, uh, we have subscribers there who pay us for information. And what we do is we provide intuitive information on cryptocurrencies, markets, news predictions, and we do the occasional mysteries target in there as well for them. Um. But by using that data, uh, not on on its own, but with other data as well, uh, that information I I provided myself through looking at cryptocurrency markets, I've made my personal investment, which was terrible. I had no money uh, two years ago, but in the two years that I've been investing my very small amount of available money that I can based on my uh, crypto uh, remote viewing, I've increased my personal investment by 600%. And you know you can't get that from a bank or in, in in any other way. So that's 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 a personal benefit for me. Um, but you know I do have per, I do have remote viewing sessions which were absolutely amazing as well, which blew me away. But I couldn't pick a single one. they're all good. You know, Area Fifty One, Roswell.
1: Well, I was I was going to ask, but giving its uh, the, that UFO podcast, there's going to be listeners thinking, <laughs> let's hear some UFO related stuff. Could you could you give us one of those? Uh, Area 51 and Roswell jump out as being massive names. Yeah. What sort of things have you remote viewed? Why did you remote view those? And and what's your takeaways?
0: Yeah, uh, all, all the targets I do are always blind. So, I, you know, I don't know what the target is when it's given to me. Um, and being a person interested in UFOs, some of those targets like Roswell, um, I've been waiting years for someone to blindly task me with that target. And it was only something like four years ago. Uh, that Courtney Brang from the Farsight Institute, uh, he, he was the very first person that tasked me on on looking at Roswell. Uh, and I worked project my, uh, with another um, co-worker of mine uh, on various projects called Dick Algar. We worked it for the Farsight Institute, and we got some amazing data, uh, which, which you know, absolutely corresponds with you know, some of the famous testimonies out there, some of the Jesse Marcel stuff, all the other, all the other ones, you know, the Corso uh, testimony and what he said he did, and so all that kind of stuff. So we had really good data, and it is available online. It's on my, you know, I put it online for free. With as well, they can actually look at the uh, paper because what I did in, in on some of these projects, I start off on paper or on tablet, do several hundred pages of information, and then the project manager will say to me at some point. Okay, you finish on that now. Now let's get something on video. Do do it live on whiteboard, and then I move to whiteboard. And I do my remote viewing live in front of a video camera,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and that's the that's the case with the Roswell and the other UFO ones that I have on my website for people to watch, and they can download
1: uh, and view the paper sessions in full as well. And I'll get the links to those in the description. With Roswell, for example, are you are you RVing the crash, the scene? Is it is it glimpses? Is it more like a video that you see when you're actually remote viewing? Yeah. Uh, it was the it was uh, if I remember correctly, I
0: think it, the target was crash at Corona in 1947, uh, and I had a few details there. But yeah, it was the essentially the crash event, you know. And at one point in the RV, I do uh, I do sketch how and why the craft came down and embedded in the land, and then you know the aftermath of it. So with remote viewing, I can. I can move my, you know, because, because I'm in control, I move myself around the target. So after say 20 sheets of paper, I kind of know that it it was an aerial object that came down and crashed. You know, I kind of built up that impression by that stage. So then I, I'm a bit like a psychic detective. I move myself around so that I would, if I knew it was a structure that crashed, I would then give myself a movement command, something like now move inside the structure and describe. So I would move inside it, and I would describe how you know what went wrong, the makeup of it, the environment, and and so on. And yeah, so you know by doing these movement commands, and I probably did five or six on that one, moving myself inside, moving myself inside the life forms to describe the life forms, and so on. Uh, by doing that, you build build up a really big general p- picture of the
1: target. You mentioned that you'd waited a long time for someone to, to give you that target. That was when yeah. you were looking forward to remote viewing. Why can't you set yourself that target in remote viewing as something, you know, if it's a Saturday evening, you've got some time and you, you, you've you got a good headspace and you think, I really want to get inside an event like Roswell. Yeah. Is it something you can do? Is there a way to do it? Or is it just it works better with that with that gift of the target?
0: Some people do try to do it in the in the way that they set themselves uh their own personal target pools. So what they'll do, they'll write down the uh the target on a on a sheet of paper and they'll seed it inside an envelope, write a random number on the front, and then they'll they'll do that and they'll you know they'll do that fifty, a hundred times. So they'll have a box of fifty or a hundred targets, uh, which, you know, but I won't do that. I'm a bit more aggressive i won't take that approach and do my own because i still believe that even if you have a box of 250 envelopes of targets that you've set yourself at some level somewhere in your head you know what targets you've set you know what's in that box there somewhere so i won't work that way I i i want to be i'm a bit more of a purist on this you're um, almost
1: giving yourself a bias that you, you want that to be a target, or like you say, you know it's there, so you've got an incline, and would yes, that not yes. necessarily give you that kind of clear mind? Absolutely. And,
0: uh, and you know, uh, why you can't set the target yourself, for exa- and I, I can use an example, let's say, for example, the target would be the Eiffel Tower, and... Um, we all know what the Eiffel Tower looks like. We all know it's in Paris. We all know it's a tourist attraction. We all know it's made out of metal and it's like a tower that moves upwards, you know, in a concave motion. Um, so, how do you score that information? What information could you provide about the Eiffel Tower
1: that you could score that you didn't already know? That's why we have to work blind. I suppose, though, um let me come back on that one as someone who again like people ask me what uh, regularly what event would you love to witness and i suppose i do say roswell now i've got in my head from various tv shows movies books you know that scene being played out in different ways as a remote viewer though would you say you could remote view an event that you you've never seen the, the genuine event or again would that bias potentially be there because you already have seen the movies the tv shows and you've built up a picture beforehand
0: it's a good question i think that uh undoubtedly we can uh, remote view things that we've never seen or experienced before i do think though that it's also possible for remote viewers to remote view belief systems or myths that have built up about certain things as well because you know um, the the myth over. Uh, I don't. I'd say the myth, but you know the stories and the mythology about a big target like Roswell. You know we have what is was it seventy years worth of mythology and theories and counter theories, mm-hmm. and that that exists at some level of human consciousness. Um, so I do believe that it's very. It's just as easy for a remote viewer to pick up on the actual real target uh, as much as it is we can also pick up on uh, a fallacy about that target or yeah, or something that's not actually real about that target. Um, so the only way to determine if the remote viewer is accurate or not is having enough feedback information to then assess what the remote viewer says for, for accuracy.
1: I can understand that. You mentioned people and organizations have approached you in the past to do work for them. How does that process go? You know, where do they find a remote viewer as such? Um, can you speak on some of the organizations and types of work you've done as well?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've done uh, oh, I've done huge amounts of projects over the years. Uh, I did 250 plus missing persons cases for a group called Find Me in, in America. And that was essentially for pretty much I would say at one point or another pretty much every police uh just you know state police force in, in America at some level and this was generally on co cases you know they have nowhere else to go so they go to a, a a group of psychics that are run by an ex-DEA agent so you know you have that law enforcement connection there anyway uh and we worked yeah as I said I worked 250 missing persons cases uh over a period of five years for them what uh, sort of fruit.
1: success? I, I hate interrupting, but what sort of success rate did you have with that, working on those 250 cases?
0: I did have the stats on that. Um, I, it's not a huge amount because, you know, there are just um, a vast amount of people around the globe that just disappear and they're never seen again. But if I remember correctly, I think I, I believe the latest stats that were given to me by the Me group was something like 3%, 3% in finding uh, people.
1: I think might even one person, you're, you're, that's one person that might not have been found without that. So that's, that's still yeah. pretty incredible. You know,
0: we're not saying it's an ideal situation. Um, police, have, no one, police and families have nowhere else to go. So why not? And we you know we do have, and I, I have many records from police chiefs uh, and some of these organizations, you know, saying, okay, thank you, you did help us find this person. Uh, in most cases, when we do find people and they've been missing for a while, you know, we have to be honest. They're, you know, they're more often than not deceased in in, in somewhere or another. Um, but we do have, you know, and I have personal letters from, you know, police chiefs saying, you know, we found this person's body, and you know, so it gave closure to the family. We only did so because of you guys as a as a team providing. Uh, and what we do is we provide GPS coordinates. So you know, we work blind. The police say, you know, here's your number and we do our thing we provide a gps coordinate they go there and if a the person's there or not then you know it's good and bad
1: on your own youtube channel you interviewed nick cook and uh, you had mentioned on that interview that you were hired by tom DeLong and to the stars academy for a project and yeah. i'd like to ask you about that is it ongoing what did it involve
0: yes uh i spoke to them for a while and it was a project where um because I wanted to be involved, I stepped back from project managing it and hired a project manager as the go-between between between myself and them. Uh, And myself and a team of, I think something like 10 or 12 remote viewers worked on the project for Tom Delange. And it was a UAP-related project. Uh, A future, I could probably say it's a future-related UAP project. Bear in mind, we did it probably two years ago now as well um and altogether you know uh i was slightly informed on that one not so blind in the fact that i knew who the client was mm. um because you know he contacted me first um but myself and all the other data that i've seen from the other remote viewers because i have a full report on it it all overlaps and corresponds and you know highlights each other as well so very good consistent data and it's, it's data consistent with typical uap craft and the occupants that are uh driving flying i i and I, this is where it gets complicated in this project uh, in this subject for me because they're not so much driving the craft they're symbiotically connected to the craft um yeah so we detailed all that kind of stuff and uh you uh my sketches alone you know i could i could uh, probably offline and stuff show you my sketches you know i detail the the occupants their uh brain structure you know the structure of their hands their bone structure how they integrate with this craft how the craft you know the layers of the craft how the craft drives works or you know we can get pretty much anything anything we need for the client
1: and and were you given a reason that you can divulge that they wanted you to do this
0: no i you know i didn't i got the barest minimum of, of of information yeah
1: and is that something that was a work that was done and complete and you've moved yeah. on Yeah,
0: <coughs> Yeah, we, uh, it was a, it was a month long or so project. We, uh, as I said, 10 remote viewers or more 10 or 11 remote viewers worked it and a project manager, it was all paid, paid work. So every, everyone was paid for their participation. We gave a report. Uh, I know the report went to Tom and Tom shared it with the other guys involved at the time, how put off and all the others. Um, and that's it. I do occasionally speak to Tom. Uh, I occasionally share my other UFO research remote viewing projects with him as well. And he you know, he, he likes to comment on those. Uh, so we do have a small ongoing dialogue, but yes, but no other project since.
1: It's nice to hear that someone does still speak to Tom on the UFO subject because he doesn't speak to many people on it, does he? <laughs> um, that seems to have gone awfully quiet uh, as of the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, talking about your prediction work before I'd like to touch back on that what have been some of the successes outside of the missing person stuff um that you've had worked with that i think you said 65% which is a yeah. phenomenal hit rate on on anything which is a kind of blind uh, and yeah. i suppose it's well above your 50/50 and would be a lucky guess wouldn't it
0: yeah uh, i'm happy with the predictive stuff that i do uh, yeah it, and it is around about 65% and what i can do is i can give you a link uh to all, uh, all my correct predictive uh, news uh, hits for the year 2020. So I put I put them all online on my website so someone can see all the ones that I actually got correct on there. And there's probably about it's probably about 60 to 100 all within the one page.
1: Um, Any particular highlights for you? Oh, there's just uh,
0: there's just so many. I mean, one really good highlight is one that I posted on Facebook and Twitter and everything today that I had because um, what we do in crypto viewing. Is myself and the other uh, three to four remote viewers. We Every month, we always look a month ahead to see what the top news is going to be. So in March, we all did our, our re- remote viewing sessions and recorded it on camera, where we looked at what the top news for April would be. And one of my, you know, I usually do round about 10 predictions, you know, so I do things like uh, what Bitcoin's going to do, what the market's going to do, top news in the US, top news in the UK, that this kind of thing. And one of my predictions was that there was going to be an incident with a big warship uh, and there was going to be an impact from the warship and it was going to be all messy and there's going to be an underwater element, all this kind of stuff. I drew this big gray warship. Of course, we had the uh, sinking of the uh, the flagship uh, warship from, from, from Russia a few days mm-hmm. back. So, yeah, that's a big hit. And in four years of doing this, I don't think I've ever, you know because I have to track the news to see how accurate we are, I don't think I've ever seen anything. In fact, I've been told the other day that uh, there hasn't been a sinking of a warship of this size since since World War Two. So, you know, it's not like it's an everyday occurrence for, for a warship to be in the news and it being sunk.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I want to ask, um, is there any issue of sensitivity as part of predicting events? Because are you potentially going to see, for example, a warship being sunk results in a loss of life? However, that's still relatively speaking a, a vague prediction because you're not naming people or you know locations that other people could potentially see and think oh god that's me you know yeah. again to use a crude example nine eleven 11 to, to yes. remote view that in advance which people have claimed to have done that's that's quite an upsetting thing for people to hear so how do you go about that sensitive part of the the prediction
0: yeah as a business as the critical viewing business we censor a lot of the material we put out. We do a lot more remote viewing uh, internally than, than we actually released even to our paid members at times. Uh, for example, in 2019, uh, right into the early parts of 2020, we were doing lots of remote viewing projects when we were looking ahead at future events in the US. And it was big events like the Macy Day Parade and stuff. Uh, and we would be getting these targets. And none of us as remote viewers would be recording any information about people, any anything on the streets or anything. We couldn't understand. In 2019, we couldn't understand why in 2020, we were getting no nothing happening for the Macy's Day Parade and stuff. Now, that intrigued us, and we we thought something very big you know, was going to happen. We didn't know what, but we knew something very big was going to happen because the Macy's Day Parade and others weren't on. But we couldn't release that information to the public because we didn't know how to... Classifier on and you know, were very aware at the same time of um not being uh people that sell predictions of doom you know just to worry people to make money yeah. off it and stuff like that so we are very particular on what on, on what we put out we do and at times we do censor quite a bit of what we put out as well
1: and, and just for anyone who forgets uh 2020 covid kicked off hence there yes. was no one in the streets there and was no one on the streets
0: yes. yeah. at the time we didn't get that but yeah, uh, you know, and because we didn't get it and we didn't know what was going to happen, we knew something big was going to happen, but we didn't know what exactly. We just didn't know what to do with the information. So we kept it all internal.
1: No, that that's fair. Um, I want to ask, uh, this is one that Dan was talking to me about as well. Have you ever used training like the Monroe HemiSync Gateway experience to aid in your remote viewing or enhance those skills?
0: Yeah, I used it for a while in my early days of training um, and it works. Uh, very well and a lot of the remote viewers that i work with and i hire on occasion uh, and even practice with and stuff and stuff they uh they still use those techniques themselves i'm at a stage now where i do like to listen to music when i remote view which is weird uh but i tend to just stick any kind of classical music on i use soundtracks so i like the interstellar soundtrack and i like soundtracks because they have no singing in it so there's no words so which i find is good because then it doesn't you know, make make imagery form in my mind of from from the words, uh, but other remote viewers, yes, they definitely uh, live and die by different sinks to get them in the right state of mind. Personally, after twenty five years of doing this now, I you know, if I well, I I literally just sit down like I would here at this desk now, and just I would just like relax. I, I can internally relax myself in five seconds to get myself into the zone because twenty five years of doing something, you just learn to do that.
1: Yeah, I can appreciate the, the no words thing in the music. I've got a very active imagination in mind yeah, and yeah. I struggle to, to even, you know, trying, you know, human-initiated contact C5, whatever it might be. I've always said on the podcast, one day I'll try it properly and, and Dan's always telling me to, but I struggle to go outside and clear my head and look up and concentrate for that long. So yeah. what what kind of advice do you give to someone like me who's who's trying to do that and clear their head?
0: I would give any everyone the advice just for better health uh and for anything to do with remote viewing and psychic work uh any form of basic meditation it's it's key i would yeah i would see key to my development Uh, i did a lot of meditation for many years before i got into the remote viewing side of things Uh, and the experiences i had for doing normal meditation and the the realms you see, the life forms you see, and just getting to know yourself uh, in your body and feeling it relax and stuff, it's just so beneficial on so many levels. And it's so easy to do, you know, your videos, apps, courses, all over the place doing this now. So there's, there's no real excuse for you to take, you know, to not take 10 minutes out to, to meditate. And, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour long meditation. You literally can do it for 10, 15 minutes at a time, and it'd be hugely beneficial for you.
1: Do you feel there's any link between remote viewing as a practice and things like astral projection, or you hear people talking about downloads and receiving downloads from entities?
0: Yeah, I think it's all, it's all uh, how I class what we do with remote viewing and everything else I did in the past with the, you know, with the clairvoyance and channeling and mediumship. uh, I see it like a, you know, it's not, there's no uh, delineation between all this. It's just like a huge spectrum of frequencies. If you can imagine that way, or a huge spectrum of colors, and you know where you just progress or move between the these frequencies or colors, yeah, uh, that's the easiest way I can I can say it. Really,
1: some have spoken about encountering other entities whilst they remote view, uh, especially when they're remote viewing space and putting themselves out there. Have you ever encountered anything like that? You mentioned the Roswell remote viewing, and yeah. you you moved yourself into the bodies of other life forms. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAP, And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
0: And not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, A little baroque and quite steampunk, Like Alice was playing bass for the parliament. of first. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window. And when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd
1: had some champagne and smoked a little Meditate game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got Upstairs and there he was. I'm like you awake, I was about to abduct you, cuz
0: I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. and I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems and I think I should seek therapy and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me.